0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. It's good to be in God's house, right? So what does it take for somebody to come back to God? What does that look like? And when we have that, we say, okay, God, we want to come back to you. What does it take for somebody to come back? Well, maybe the first thing is there has to be humility and even the the admittance that I need to do that, right? I've got to admit that I need a God that is bigger than who I am. So just saying, God, I want to come back to you means that there is humility that must be Invade or, or at least be represented in your life You say, God, you are God. You need to be God for me. I'm tired of playing this game of me being in charge. So that may be the first thing. The second thing is just taking the action to do it. Because a lot of times we, we recognize it and then we, we may push back a little bit because when we say we're going to follow God and we're going to come back to God, or God coming back to us, however you want to picture that, what it means is there's going to be a sacrifice that's going to take place and it's, it could be a little bit painful. So coming back to God is going to cost. But if we are a people that want to be in God's will, if we want to say, God, you're in charge of our life, then we have to be willing to say, God, I'm willing to endure the cost of coming before you and saying, you're in charge. Because it's going to mean change in our lives. It's going to mean that something's different. Well, that was the idea in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was essentially calling the people back to God. And as he went and visited and and got to Jerusalem and saw the walls broken down and the gates burned with fire, Nehemiah, although that passion burned in his heart because of his heritage, He came in and said, there is something that we've got to do. And it doesn't start with just putting blocks together. That it starts in the hearts of the people that need to have their hearts rearranged or adjusted to follow God with a passion that will get them through the rebuilding. Because you can endure and start a project with with just this kind of, eh, I can get it done kind of attitude. But if the inspiration or motivation to do that is not greater than yourself, then you will falter in the pursuit of it. So Nehemiah was this guy who had been cupbearer to Artaxerxes. So he went to the king, asked for permission to go and to check out the land, but also to rebuild the walls and the gates. And so he had a heart and passion for the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. But it went even beyond that. He, had a, he was driven toward rebuilding their relationship with God and said, I want these folks to desire you to, to have a passion for chasing you. And Nehemiah wasn't shy about that. and We read about that a little bit last week. And so he had the folks gather and as they rebuilt, they rebuilt across from their homes next to each other all the way around the city. And last week in chapter 3, we looked and said that it is really important that the people of Judah not only gathered, but as they were next to each other, supported one another. And in Nehemiah 3, 31 times it is listed that they were next to, after them, or after him, just kind of signifying that the body needed to be together. And as they were going to fill in gaps around that whole city... That they would have to work side by side in accomplishing the task that God called them to do. Anything less than that would create an issue. And so Nehemiah calls them to do that. And as each one chases after God and obeys, then there are no gaps in the wall. And no gaps is important, right? So if we have no gaps in the wall around Jerusalem, why would that be important? Because gaps signify a weakness. In the city. Remember, they had been oppressed by, by those from outside saying, Hey, we don't want you to be separate. We want to have access to you or control over you. And Nehemiah says, No, we need to be in an independent group seeking after God. And so we rebuild this wall with no gaps. And that is true for the church as well. Where there are gaps within the church, the enemy will attack. Satan will attack, and we have to understand that Satan is not a fair guy. He is not a player that gets in the middle of this and says, oh, I'll follow the rules. Satan doesn't follow rules. He is a deceiver, an accuser, and he wants to destroy that anything that would honor God. So Satan is out to destroy not just your personal life, but Satan is out to destroy your family life. He's out to destroy your marriage, and he's out to destroy your community, and he's out to destroy the church because that would bring power and glory to him instead of to God Almighty, who is the creator and writer of this text. So we have to understand who the enemy is in all of this. And filling in the gaps as the body of Christ is important. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, "...beyond all things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into..." How many bodies? Just one. One body. And be thankful. It takes all of the body of Christ to maximize efforts... To build that which displays His glory and power. All of the body of Christ. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. In fact, we face battles. And we have to understand that we face battles. Just life kind of caves in on us sometimes. And we, we realize that there are things beyond our control that we have, cannot fight on our own. And we're going to face battles. It may be a physical battle. I mean, it could be something like Alzheimer's or asthma. It could be all kinds of different things that, that may be a physical battle that you have to endure. And then there are, there's likely emotional battles like depression or even the, the propensity to be angry. There could be a distinctly spiritual aspect to a battle where God seems to be very far off and it seems like no matter how hard you try or pray, it seems like God is outside the room that you are in. And He's beyond the ceiling and your prayers go about eight or nine feet and they stop. God doesn't seem to be anywhere around. And we've all faced those battles. And as we face those, we sit back and, and we would consider those battles something that attacks what we would define as abundant life. You say, we all want abundant life, but then we go through these battles and we say, well, that kind of subverts an abundant life. This week, as a nation, we get to celebrate the 242nd anniversary of our freedom as a nation. That's a crazy accomplishment. It's also crazy to look at where our world is right now. And understand and just try and figure out how can you exist as a free country within a world that seems to be so tightly connected by various things. Whether it's the economy or the internet, however you want to put that. And we celebrate this freedom yet and even though it's our freedom to enjoy, it costs people their lives. We look at military and those that have served in our military and they've given, some of them have given their lives so that we can enjoy just being able to gather here this morning. We need not take that lightly. It's a very serious thing. When I, If I were to call out people's names and say, they gave their life so that you could sit in that pew or they gave their life so that you could go share Christ on a sidewalk or amongst a, among a group of friends, We have to understand that is a big deal. And it didn't come easy. So, to squander the freedom that we have as a nation because we're too shy to step out and tell somebody about Christ, that doesn't speak well of those that sacrificed so that we could do it. So, we got to take advantage of that while we can. This is one of those weeks where we may celebrate, and we'll celebrate with with grills and barbecue and hot dogs and hamburgers and all the stuff that goes with that. Fireworks, some legal, some illegal. I don't wanna know. We may spend some time on the lake, may get sunburnt this week. There's all kinds of things that could happen. But if we don't recognize the sacrifice that makes that possible, we minimalize or discount the level of expense. And the truth is, when we talk about freedom and real freedom, if you look at Galatians 5, Paul said it was for freedom that Christ set you free. That whole idea of freedom is also found in Scripture, and Jesus sacrificed on our behalf so that we could have freedom in Him. And when we squander and minimize that sacrifice, we don't understand the fullness of the freedom that we have in Christ. Nehemiah was trying to call them back, to an understanding of what it meant to have a relationship with God. Nehemiah 4 is the account surrounding the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. And for those that had been living in that area, they had lived among the rubble and rubbish of a broken down wall. It was something they just lived with, and, and we talked about it even last week. You could, after you're in it a while, you tend to ignore it because it just seems normal. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah's constant task was to remind them that God had not abandoned them. That God was still present and He wanted to use them as a nation, as His chosen people. And so it was an intense battleground for a nation. It was an intense battleground for a representative city where God's presence was represented within the temple. And so it was important. Not all the battles that the folks that rebuilt the walls faced were external. We're going to read about some, but there were some other ones that were internal. When you think about battles in your life, there are a lot of things that, can, that you have to face, and there are a lot of ways to overcome and obtain victory. I want you to watch this video of a, of a young man who endured a lot of different trials in his life and seems to have found victory. Victory that's found only in Christ. Watch this video. What an incredible story. There's more to to his story and what God's doing through him, but you can obviously see that there were some battles that he had to face. But just getting out of bed in the morning and getting ready is a battle for Nick. Just the, the thoughts that run through your head, why am I created like this, is a battle for him. And even being around peers that would have all the faculties that he didn't have would come beside him and say, you're not worth anything. But God had something in mind when he wanted to use Nick in a way that would reach a lot of people with the gospel of Christ. See, he had, he had something to, to work through, but as he trusted God, things got accomplished. Major things. The Jewish people around Nehemiah 4 needed to accomplish something that was big and they would face battles. Maybe a little different than Nick's, but we all face different kind of battles than that. We have to look at this and say, okay, God, what needs to happen in my life or what changes need to take place in me? What do I have to recognize where the enemy is going to push in on me where I need to, instead of trying to push back on my own, lean into Christ and allow Christ to minister through me and strengthen me for what's ahead. So Nehemiah chapter 4 starts out pretty interestingly if we understand that Nehemiah 3 was all about gathering around the wall and rebuilding. So let's pray as we begin Nehemiah 4. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, help us very, very clearly to understand how you strengthen us for what's ahead of us. Even in the midst of battles, how you are present. And so God, use this time, redeem this time for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 4 starts out, was something that would just be opposite of what Nehemiah wanted to accomplish. It says this, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became what? Furious. He became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And so we say, okay, so, so Sanballat is mad. I get that. He's angry because the wall is being rebuilt. And whether that was because just a wall was being built or it was going to mess up his plan for how to to keep these people oppressed, it still just made him angry and he begins to take it out on on the Jews that are rebuilding the wall. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? In other words, will they just offer sacrifices and it'll rebuild itself? Can they finish in a day like it's going to be a miraculous accomplishment if they just stand back and watch? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And then in verse 3, it gets a little bit more intense. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him. And so he jumps on this bandwagon. He gets on this thing and he says, Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. That's a weak wall. I mean, if a fox jumps on it, that's not much weight at all. And, And these guys are just declaring the weakness of the people that God had chosen. They're declaring of their inability, not just for rebuilding the wall, but the ineptness of having the task of rebuilding a a nation. So these guys are dead set against the rebuilding of the wall, but dead set against these people, even recognizing God. So the first battleground that we see in this passage is an intimidating influence. In verses 4 through 6, it says, And this is the response, Nehemiah's response to that. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. He's not saying, God, hey, be merciful on this people and, uh, and forgive them. He's saying, hey, let them experience what we've experienced. Let their sin be accounted to them and let what, as we were led into exile because of our sin, let it happen to them as well. Let them experience what we've experienced. Do not forgive their iniquity or do not let their sin be blotted out before you for they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work there was a sense that we're going to do this even in the midst of intimidation. God goes with them and even in the middle of this reality of being pushed on by somebody outside. Sam Bowen and Tobiah wanted to thwart the work of God and God wanted the wall accomplished for His glory. If you remember over in 1 Kings, there was another story that could have been a demoralizing story Kind of story, Elijah in First Kings chapter eighteen is on Mount Carmel, and this is what he prays. And you remember the the story is they're they're up on this hill, and they say, "Okay, let's decide who God is. Let's decide how big God is." And the prophets of Baal came along, and they got the altar ready, and they prayed, and cut themselves, and did all these things to try and get their gods to consume the sacrifice. And Elijah stood back till. Till the end of the day, and these guys were wore out from trying to get their God to do what only a real God could do. And Elijah prayed this He said, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then, 1 Kings 18, it's 37 through 39, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. So he not just, not just had the sacrifice, but soaked it so that fire it would be hard to catch it on fire. And when all the people saw that what God had done, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. They declared and understood that it wasn't the, the God of the prophets of Baal. It was the God of Elijah that had come and done what only God could do. And in this passage in Nehemiah 4, there are things that only God can do through his people, and there are things that only God can do through the people sitting in this room. Because you've been called out by God to accomplish certain things, whether it's at your job, in your school, or somewhere else, there are things that only you can do. And as you push back on what God calls you to do, you're saying, No God. And Nehemiah would tell you, You need to jump in on what God's doing, you need to be faithful and come back to him regardless of the intimidation factor of others. It's interesting that on the heels of that, what happens in 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's why we don't name girls Jezebel. She's not very pleasant. All that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. It's, it's that commercial, of the evil guy with, the, guy, with the, the good guy in the chair. I'm going to tell you my plans in advance, if you know the commercial, that, that Geico commercial. So here, here's Jezebel sending a messenger and saying, this is, this is what's going to happen to you. Sends this messenger and says, so may the gods do to me and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. So by tomorrow, you're going to be dead, Elijah. And he was afraid. Now, this is the same Elijah that said God answered and kind of called down to take up that sacrifice and to lick the water out of the trench. He says, he was afraid and rose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Great victory on the top of a mountain and on the heels of that Jezebel comes and just sends a messenger with the word that I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. Brings this intimidation factor into Elijah's life and Elijah basically just packs up his stuff and starts running. Afraid of Jezebel when he is a servant of God, when he is the one that God had chosen. And God reminds him of who he is. You see, we see, when we are intimidated by some outside force, some battle, we need to be reminded of who God is more than we need anything else. It says this, Then he came to a cave in 1 Kings 19, 9, came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous. This is Elijah. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. He said, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. I'm all by myself. I feel bad for him. I'm all by myself, and they seek my life to take it away. What happened to the courage of the mountain now that you're hiding in a cave? What happens with the courage of the church that says, we're going to follow God with all that we are, yet yet, kind of cowers at the fact that they've got to walk outside the church building to do anything amidst a dark generation. What happens to the church that's so triumphant inside the walls when it should be triumphant outside the walls? God says, go forth and stand, or he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So God tells him, go stand. Behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of gentle blowing. Then, when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, your altars, and killed your prophets. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life, take it away. God was reminding him to stop long enough to hear God's voice. When we face intimidation, intimidating influences in our life, we must stop. We have to stop long enough and say, God, where are you? We have to stop long enough to hear his voice and his encouragement from his word. And when there are intimidating influences that come in on us, we can't just keep running after it. We will be worn out just like Elijah was worn out and cowering because of the influence. It would have been easy for Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem to cower at the intimidating influence of Sanballat and Tobiah, but they needed to stop just long enough to hear God's voice and to understand it was God that was doing the work among them, not just them on their own. Intimidating influences could only be met through a confident relationship with God. You must stop long enough to hear his voice. Nehemiah 4 7 and 8 says, Now when Samba, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ash- Ashadites heard that the repair of the walls went on and the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. You notice something different from this in the first verse, first couple of verses? crowd has increased, hasn't it? Samball and Tobiah have rallied the forces to come against the people of the city. It says in verse 8, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Essentially, it was a rallying of the troops to stop what God was doing. And that happens today. It will happen tomorrow. There'll be a group of folks that will get together somewhere who do not want to see God at work among the community or among the nation. And we have to understand that's part of the battle. They will conspire and link together in order to do battle against God's people. And we have to be cognizant or realize that we are up against something that only God can do. And we be His instruments. says in Isaiah 32, it says, For a fool speaks nonsense and his heart inclines toward wickedness to practice ungodliness and to speak error against the Lord to keep the hungry person unsatisfied and to withhold drink from the thirsty. What Isaiah is declaring here is that there are people that want to keep people in bondage. And there is a society that lives in darkness that doesn't know God that would love to wrap a big, a big sheet or a big wrap around this church and say, you guys stay contained in there. You guys don't do anything. Please, please sit on your pew every single week and do nothing for the sake of the kingdom of God. But that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be diligent by pursuing who He is and what He's about, to have His kind of passion in His heart. Nehemiah 4, 9 It says, but we pray to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Now catch this. They're together doing the work. They've got a mind, and something's happening. There's there's a physical threat that is taking place. The second battleground is just the physical threat of the labor. It says, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. It's this picture of those that are moving the rubbish... Those broken pieces out of the way so the wall can be rebuilt. Well, when I went to Crosslink, I guess it was a week and a half ago, a week, was that last week? Was, Thank you. All right, last week, Tommy shared a little bit about the trip to Haiti. In fact, the whole team, as they were sharing, and one of the things that kept coming up as different people shared of how difficult the work was. That they would move stones from one place to another and then move them again and move them again to where they had pet rocks during the week. They, they, they just kept running across the same stones. And and that's what was happening here is just the difficulty of moving rocks. It was difficult work. And it says, so the strength of the burden bearers or those that were moving the rubbish out of the way were getting tired. They were physically exhausted. You've been there maybe it's the physical exhaustion because you've moved rocks, but maybe it's a physical exhaustion because you've been going, 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 going and have not stopped long enough to not just hear God's voice, but be encouraged and be strengthened by His presence. The physical threat can wear us out. John 15 encourages us that we have to be connected to the vine dresser. We cannot do it on our own. See, the strength comes from God who is the the vine. We are the branches. We get our strength from Him and we seek to do on our own. We're basically saying, I want to sever my relationship with God and I think I can survive and that doesn't work very well. The psalmist in Psalm 1 reminds us that we are to be trees planted by streams of living water. And part of Psalm 1 says that we should meditate on God's Word day and night. That's where that blessing comes from. It's just a a, a continual continual feeding of God's strength through us by Him. And so the way this works is we get on this high of accomplishment. The wall gets to halfway up and we get tired. And so we take a break and we stop and we, we relax, but we relax in such a way that we don't recognize God. And we start to fall into patterns that are not healthy. Did you know that most preachers resign on Monday? They do. They'll come out of a Sunday and be all fired up about what happens on Sunday. Now, they've, would, I tell you, just being up here, it wears me out to, at the end of the day. After all this is over, I'm just kind of like, I'm tired. But, but I, I know that Mondays are, are difficult because it's that follow-up to some victory. It's a, like an Elijah coming to the next day going, I'm going to run for my life. And it happens, it happens in our lives. It happens, students, when you go to camp. You go to camp and you go through this camp and it's great. I'm glad you guys had a, a good time and were challenged in God's word. But you can't walk away from that and say, okay, it's all good. I don't have to do anything. There is a diligence that is needed on the back end of a camp or a retreat. This goes for our ladies in the fall. On the back end of a retreat, there's this peace that has to be maintained. You cannot just do these hills and valleys and think that it's okay that if I go to this peak, that that will sustain me forever you've got to be diligent about seeking after God. Victory is hard, but it's much harder to sustain victory than it is to attain victory. Anybody can get to a peak, but maintaining it is hard. Go ask a Super Bowl champion or a Stanley Cup champion or a World Series champion. How hard is it to repeat? You can get there, but staying there is hard. What Nehemiah is reminding us is that we have to be diligent about seeking after God. In verse 11 says, our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come along them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. So there's physical threat that's coming. And when the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed, and this is this is Nehemiah taking some action. He said, then I stationed men in the lower lower parts of the space behind the wall and, ex, and the exposed places. And I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. So what Nehemiah did in realizing that there were tired people, there were threats against them, is he stationed them in such a way that they could push that back. So the physical threat was real. The physical threat to church unity is real. And we have to be very diligent about stationing ourselves in the place where we can push that back. In the next section, in Nehemiah 4.14, it says, When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Any movie I've ever seen about the freedom of this nation and talking about the battles that came with that has words just like this. Fight for your homes, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your families. And Nehemiah is reminding them to do that. He says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his own work. It's incredible. Because the third thing we have to understand is there are deceiving emotions that will take hold of us. In verse 14, it talks about the fear that had come about, and Nehemiah rallies the group to remember who God is. That was his first weapon, piece of weapon, weaponry. Who is the inspiration behind the one who we are rebuilding the wall for? And it's God. God does it. There are challenges that will come on us emotionally where we have to rely on God and understand that the work before us is bigger than what we can accomplish on our own. When we reduce what we do for the kingdom of God to what benefits us, We limit the influence we can have. So we have to take what we want out of the equation and say, God, what do you want? What do you want to accomplish? The rest of Nehemiah chapter 4 is this plan of how they did it, that there were some that held weapons, there were some that built. There was always a guard that was there. 24-7, somebody was watching out for the enemy. And I would say there is a need within the church that we must watch out for the enemy 24-7. We cannot lie down and say it's okay to have a gap, it's okay to be not present. It's none of those things. We have to be present and diligent to be watching. Nehemiah was a strategist, but he was also a strategist with a heart for God. For us, to reach our community with the gospel, What changes in strategies must we employ to reach our goal? That's the question. Because Nehemiah, if you notice in chapter 4, there was a change in strategy that took place. Instead of everybody rebuilding the wall, half the people held weapons and half worked on the wall. The very end, it says, we didn't even take off our clothes. We stayed in our clothes so that we could be ready if there was an attack. If we truly believe that there is no hope for eternal life with God without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we must remember that the enemy will use means to intimidate us. We have to dwell on the physical cost of pursuing Christ and and he will play with our emotions and prevent the work of God and ultimately refuse God the glory that he deserves. So Satan is working to kill the work. We have to be diligent and employ strategies to protect the work. So consider, just really quickly, consider the weapons that Nehemiah used. First one is prayer. Nehemiah prayed. He so said, hear, O God of Israel. We went back to the Lord. We, we sought Him. Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, When I pulled up in our neighborhood this week, got back one morning, there was a deer standing in the middle of our neighborhood. And if you know our neighborhood, it's just townhomes with this little section of trees and grass. And that deer was sitting right in the middle. When I pulled up, he stopped what he was doing and the ears just kind of turned. He was alert. And that's the picture we get from Paul in Colossians, that we be on the alert, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Prayer also shows that we want to act, but not just act, we want to act in obedience to God and be dependent upon Him. Matthew 6 says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that prayer that Jesus taught His disciples. It was not just about obedience, but it was about dependence. So we must be a people of prayer. The second thing, we must be a people of action. And it may mean action outside the walls, but it also is action before God. Meditating on his word. Psalm 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we have to take action. Sometimes that means stopping long enough to hear God's voice and meditating in His Word and being in His Word consistently. The other action may be going or doing. The third thing is we have to trust. Trust that God is God. We can live life and not even acknowledge God. In Colossians 1, Paul reminds us again that God is on the throne. And our job is to trust him. Trust him that he knows what he's doing. This is what it says in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn or preeminent from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Does God have first place in you? Does he? That's a hard question. When we talk about coming back, that's the question we ask. If we want to come back to God, the question is, does God have first place in us? And if he does not, then that's the point at which you have to come to the altar and say, God, I give you me. I can't hold back. I can't have you in second behind or third behind these other things. God, you've got to be first. What was God doing in the the lives of the people of Nehemiah 4? God was rebuilding in them a heart that chased after him. And it came through battles. It came through difficulty. It was a refining process that was taking place in those people. They were being intimidated. They were being physically threatened. And they were emotionally running out of steam. But God was bringing them back into a trust relationship with Him. When we hesitate about saying yes, it's because we're in the middle of a battle and we have not considered what we have in Christ most important. James says in James 1, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, and we don't like this, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. What Nehemiah was reminding the people of is that God was at work among them. What we need to be reminded of is that God is at work among us. Refining us, chiseling on us, remolding us like a potter takes the clay and sometimes it means pounding it down to where it can be rebuilt into something useful. God is at work among us. And when we are completely surrendered to him, there is absolutely no telling what God will do with this body called Ebenezer from this place. We must be a surrendered people ready to do whatever God calls us. It's the task of honoring those that have battled for our freedom, but it's the task of honoring the one who died for our freedom. So let's pray and be the people of God that we're called to be. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Nehemiah and even these people that struggled in the middle of rebuilding a wall. And God, you remind us of your strength. You remind us of your steadfastness that you are a rock and a refuge. And Father, your ultimate desire for us is that we would be mature in Christ. And so God, where we have to admit that we are short of that, Father, let those that claim the name of Christ, that are followers of Christ, come to the point of repentance. God, let those that have no relationship with You understand that You want the very best and You, through Christ, are offering a life that can only come about through the cross of Christ and the shed blood of Christ. And so, God, I pray that those who don't have a relationship with You would understand Your passion for them and the opportunity they have to have a vibrant Loving relationship with almighty God a personal relationship and so if you've called someone to know you this morning by your spirit that unsettling part God let them come to you for others that need to come to this altar and and just spend time with you in repentance God I pray that you would make us an obedient people that the Sam Ballads and Tobias those that surround us and want the worst for the church would see the God who wants the best for his church, the best for his bride. God do that in us and through us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 AM for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.